We have everything we need. You know, technology is hugely important, but it's not our limitation. And I think for a lot of us that have been around for a long time, we've always kind of had the wish list of, oh, I wish we could build this. I wish we could build that. I think we can do all that now. Welcome back to the Women on the Move podcast. I'm your host, Sam Saperstein. In this episode, I'm speaking with two great leaders in payments at JPMorgan Chase, Christine Moy, who leads JPMorgan's blockchain team, and Lori Schwartz, Global Head of Liquidity Solutions. If you're new to blockchain, crypto, and liquidity and want to learn more, this is the episode for you as Lori and Christine break down these complex technologies. Christine and Lori, it's so nice to have you on our Women on the Move podcast. Thank you both for joining us. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. We would love to know more about both of you, your careers, how long you've been with JP Morgan, and your current roles. So maybe, Lori, let's start with you. Uh, tell us a little bit more about yourself. Thanks so much. I've been in banking my whole career, super subject matter expert, always liquidity solutions. And frankly, just because each year it gets more and more interesting. So 15 years in the better part of banking, nine years, which actually realized on the train ride between Brooklyn and, and Midtown today, which feels crazy with JP Morgan. Liquidity Solutions is a really fun part of the business. I, I always say we are a front office part of the now wholesale payments business, kind of traditional treasury services, and really always about helping our clients make optimal use of their working capital. So I get everything in my business from product management, a hub and spoke approach, as I like to say, jack of all trades, right? You've got to know your sales, your compliance, your legal, your regulatory, your technology, your operations and product management kind of knits and ties it all together. And we help our clients leverage those solutions to better manage their businesses globally. But what I equally enjoy about Liquidity Solutions, and I think what's kept me in it for all these years, is the relevance we have to the banking industry itself. So we are a deposit generator liabilities. We fund the firm. And so we get with that a whole heap of interesting aspects of how those liabilities are used, how we deploy into assets, and a real relevance both to our clients always, but equally so to the firm. That's great. So you'll be working with clients, but also a lot of internal employees and colleagues about what those assets that you're gathering mean to the rest of our firm. I often joke, I think the only Zoom number I know beside my own is our treasurers. <laughs> That's right. That's your speed dial. Always. Thank you for that. Well, Christine, tell us about yourself. Yeah. And thank you so much for having me on. Really excited. I've been following Woman on the Move for quite some time. So, you know, I've been at JP Morgan for about 18 years now, you know, started my career out of college and I did, I've had like five different jobs actually here at JP Morgan, uh, starting out at the investment bank, covering the auto sector, then actually joining the trading floor, covering the commodities markets. And then cut my teeth building technology for the asset management and private bank division in our credit risk area. And that's where I realized I love technology and I loved building product and had the opportunity to actually be the first hire to JP Morgan's blockchain and crypto team about five years ago, which I mean, half a decade ago. I mean, when you say half a decade, it just sounds like such a long time ago. Uh, so, you know, in terms of my current role, you know, I've, since five years since being the first hire, actually looked after and led the blockchain and crypto program for JP Morgan, originally for the investment bank, and then actually firm wide. And then recently we helped to launch Onyx by JP Morgan, which is a new business division focused on blockchain, digital assets, and crypto. And then recently expanded my role to look after the Link Network, which is our network of cross-border payments banks 
connected together uh, with blockchain technology to exchange information to address pain points in the cross-border payment space to make payments faster and cheaper and more efficient. So let us go a little bit deeper into some of those areas and really educate our audience. I guess let's start with blockchain. Can you just describe for audience members who might not know what it really is, know more about it and what they should know in their day-to-day? Sure. You know, it's really funny. You know, blockchain is actually database network technology. And it's really funny because most people on a day-to-day basis don't necessarily walk around thinking like, I need to know how my Oracle database works or like, how does like my TCP IP like network work? But blockchain is very intriguing and it is indeed very new. And so it captures a lot of interest. So, you know, without getting into the gory details and just losing everyone down like a technological rabbit hole, what I like to do is just have people imagine a shared spreadsheet, say like a Google spreadsheet, because really the best way to think about blockchain is that it's a ledger that is shared by multiple participants and it's updated in real time, kind of like how you would imagine a Google spreadsheet, except without the Google part. Imagine you have like all these tiny little spreadsheets living on, or ledgers, let's call them digital ledgers. Um, So just so we don't just think about work. You have all these digital ledgers living on everybody's computers and they're all connected. And if I, you know, do something like that updates on the little ledger that's on your computer, and then, you know, this happens all around the world. You know, what's really interesting about this shared ledger is that it uses cryptography and consensus mechanisms to basically ensure that all of these people that are or businesses and people that are connected on this ledger are sharing in the same state of the world and that this ledger is tracking sort of like the historical progress of whatever the things we're tracking. So the easy way to think about it is the Bitcoin blockchain is basically the digital ledger of all the Bitcoin transactions that have happened in the history of the world, as an example. And so basically what you get from this shared ledger is that you're able to have unique digital assets that have a transaction history or what we in like blockchain nerdland like to call like provenance, you know, things that are typically digital and that you can typically replicate to no end and don't necessarily have history can suddenly be unique and special because they have almost like an audit trail associated with it. Well, thank you for that. I think that seems like a very straightforward explanation I can get my head around. Tell us then how cryptocurrencies relate to blockchain. How do they use blockchain technology? Yeah, actually... The way that you can think about it, if you take my my spreadsheet or digital ledger example, is that cryptocurrencies or crypto assets are the asset types or things that you would track on the digital ledger. So, you know, let's say, for example, in, you know, your normal non-crypto life, you use a spreadsheet and you'll track U.S. dollars or you would track euros, tracking something on your spreadsheet. And, you know, for as many things as you can track on a spreadsheet, that's how you can think of the many things that you can track on a blockchain. However, the one critical thing to understand is the differentiation between public blockchains and permission blockchains. And this is really important to note. And so when we talk about cryptocurrencies, crypto assets, this usually lives on the public blockchain side. On the public blockchain side, it's actually open to the entire world and anyone with a computer and internet connection can have access to cryptocurrencies and crypto assets and public blockchains. The interesting thing about public 
blockchains is that you don't have to properly identify yourself. You don't have to KYC yourself. You can just, you know, use the software and just join. And, you know, because of that, people actually mistaken blockchain crypto technology as being anonymous and good for use for crime or ransomware. There's actually a big misunderstanding. It's not anonymous. It's pseudonymous, which means you don't necessarily have to identify yourself up front. But, you know, people actually can see what you're doing because it's like transparent digital ledger, right? So like once they're able to trace like account one, two, three is like equal to Christy Moy, then it's actually just like an open ledger and they can see everything that I'm doing. So, you know, if you're planning on using crypto or Bitcoin for crime, please do not do that. It's highly traceable. Bitcoin, pseudonymous, anyone can join it. People can do it. It's global. You know, regulators certainly are trying to navigate how they think about the assets that are being transacted on public blockchain. The philosophical underpinning for public blockchain and crypto is that this is a global system that is censorship resistant. And what that means is that because, you know, think about all these digital ledgers that are living all around the world in people's computers. What that means is that not one company, not one entity, not one country can shut the system down. We think about like the digital ledgers living all around the world. Like, let's say, you know, everybody in the U.S. had to turn off their computers and like that was the end of Bitcoin in the U.S., there would still be digital ledgers running in Switzerland or Canada or other parts of the world that would keep the system going. And so people, you know, appreciate this idea of censorship resistance in this type of technology. So thank you for that background. That was a really interesting way to sort of think about what we're doing. Can you talk about some of the use cases for blockchain technology? What do you see out there in terms of its benefits right now or where it's also been from a few years ago until now? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's actually a continuing journey of discovery. And we've been at it, as I mentioned, for about a half of decade. And we're still really early. We think we're building the next generation internet of value. So the internet that you know of is like the internet of information. Basically, you know, back in the late 90s and into the early 2000s was basically about like, how do we exchange information frictionlessly? How do we democratize the creation and distribution of information? And you've seen, you know, early on, it was like, let's publish newspapers on the internet. And then that has evolved into like social media and then, you know, everything that's happened since. But where we're at right now is the beginnings of how do we make making payments as easy as sending an email? Or how do we make fundraising for companies or teams as easy as like writing a blog post? And so we're in really in the early stages. And what I mean by that is we're probably in the stages of if any of you non-millennials remember like the early internet of information where you had to do dial up and it was like, and it was like super hokey and slow and weird and awkward and only like super tech forward people knew what they were doing. Like that's where we're at in terms of like blockchain. But in terms of JP Morgan's journey specifically of how we're coming to understand what the best use cases are, we only know what we are seeing right now. And it's interesting, we see both the public blockchain space and the permission blockchain space coming to the same conclusions at the same time. I think there's actually a book about this. It's like how innovation works. Like everyone's just kind of taking the same data points and evolving. We're just doing it in like a enterprise fashion. But the first thing that we had to do was, you know, establish our base foundation of the blockchain protocol. And, you know, rather than create our own blockchain, which a bunch of people did half a decade ago, what we did was actually took one of the public blockchains and forked it. 
And what that means is just copied and pasted it with open source code and then added some privacy and performance and then open sourced it again in the world. And actually super proud that that was actually JP Morgan's first occasion of open sourcing any software. And now JP Morgan open sources a ton of software. And when you hear about companies like Starbucks tracking coffee beans on a blockchain, Louis Vuitton tracking handbags on a blockchain, you know, that's actually on the quorum blockchain that we open sourced. So really excited about that. But we were really trying to use blockchain not to do technological things, but to solve business problems. And so one of the first things that we did was launch the Link Network, which I run on a day-to-day basis. And this is the network where, as I mentioned, cross-border payments banks can exchange information to resolve sanctions exceptions that come up in the cross-border correspondent payments process or to validate accounts before making payment to make sure like, you know, when I'm about to send this global payment around the world, that it's actually going to get to the right place. It's actually going to get into Sam's account. So that was the second thing that we established, a network of enterprise financial institutions and corporates to, you know, actually communicate through this technology. Then the next thing we needed to do was figure out how do we model actual financial instruments with this technology Smart contracts are the logic base for blockchain. So going back to my digital ledger spreadsheet example, it's just think about macros, except we all share the macros. And so one of the first things that we did was we tokenized bonds and built out an automated bond from end to end, you know, a bond that settles itself and gets distributed to, you know, its asset managers and, you know, pays interest automatically and pays down over time. And that was actually the origin story to JP Morgan coin, which is US dollars on payments where, you know, we were like, okay, so we can create bonds with legal documents and blockchain, but we can't create US dollars. And Mm -hmm. so this was about how do we connect our JP Morgan deposit systems to blockchain. But what's important to note is that, you know, of the four or five things that I mentioned, there were about 60 projects that we ran over the course of the past half decade. And most of them failed and most of them, you know, went by the wayside or they evolved or they morphed when we actually tried to figure out where was the value proposition. So as an example, we announced earlier this year that we actually launched a couple of satellites into space. And by the way, like I'm going to have to mention this in, you know, like kind of the time in the year that a couple billionaires barely touched space for a couple minutes. Like I have to let you guys know that JP Morgan is actually the first bank in space because we launched a couple satellites in space and we ran an Ethereum blockchain and actually tested tokenized payments to research maybe an intergalactic coin that we might issue one day. Those are a few different use cases that we've been working on. So we will be ready to bank in space clearly when we need to. So Lori, let's bring this back down to earth since that's where uh, most of our issues currently reside. Tell us about liquidity management, you know, just to start with, you know, what is it that you do for clients and why is it important for them? And actually, Christine said something that is super relevant. And I think the major connect point between some of the areas that we're exploring and innovating, and then what we really do every single day to help our clients manage their business. And that's the keyword of value, right? So whether the internet of value or you know the value of, of payments, we're helping companies move money across the globe. And that sounds super easy at the, let's call it, you know, outer space level. But as you start to go down and deep, it becomes really complicated. So I often start like, think about your own personal life. You have a bank account. Maybe you have one or two, probably have an investment account somewhere, but you have within your own personal life, pretty good understanding of what money is coming in and what money is going to go out. Right. So if you work for JP Morgan, like I do, I know when my uh, direct debit's coming through, I have a mortgage. 
I have a too expensive credit card bill, and then I have you know miscellaneous that will come in throughout. So I can pretty much manage that complexity. I live in the US today, so I'm pretty US dollar focused, albeit up until January of this year, I was in England. So I have a fair amount of sterling. So there's a little currency risk, but nothing that I'm not fully aware of and can manage. But if you take that from a simple person perspective and kind of blow that up to global multinationals, financial institutions, broker dealers, I mean, we bank the whole lot of them. You start to encounter, yes, currencies, countries, cutoff times, legal entities, and managing with a view to understand how much cash you have, where it is, how you get access to it to ultimately optimize it becomes increasingly complex. So what we help companies do is firstly, understand through visibility. So if you don't know what you have, there's no way you can manage it. And then in large multinational corporations, there is an aspect of being able to control. You might know you have you know, 100 million rupees sitting out in India, but can you actually get access to it? And then when we have a landscape of the accounts, the cash, understanding of what's coming in, what's coming out, we help clients optimize with a view to risk mitigate. And I think that is a part of our business that we always think about in terms of, you know, our risk mitigation and what we do, you know, AML sanction screening, let's make sure the payment is protected. But from a liquidity solutioning perspective, and we say risk management, what we're meaning is we need to make sure and help our clients have enough cash on account to de-risk the potential of payments failure. Because what's sitting on the end of that payment can be a small acquisition, it can be a utility bill, it can also be your payroll. And that's just not things that any global company or any company wants to risk failure of. So Lori, in the past year and a half during the pandemic, what did you have to do to change, to meet clients' needs, and to make sure things would still work in this world. And you know, talk about what virtual accounts or other you know, virtual products have meant during this time. Yeah, so it was very interesting with what happened uh, in kind of the aftermath of the start of the pandemic, right? There was a single question that I think every treasurer was asking, how much cash do I have and can I get access to it? So like liquidity became at the fore. And the first thing my team did is we started working harder because a lot of the solutions we put in place helps companies answer those questions much quicker. And so I remember sitting down with members of my team and saying, I know it's a lot. I know things that are going on. Take a moment and feel validated because everything we've been saying for the last, you know, ever many years you've been in this part of the business has just proven to be true. Because if you don't have a good handle on your short-term working capital obligations, you will hit periods of stress in a far more opportunistic way than you would if you had a handle on those sorts of things. So we did that. I think what, what you're referring to absolutely in the space of virtual accounts is just how much technology has helped us in the last couple of years. And from the most basic things, because also bearing in mind that a lot of the day-to-day -day that our clients deal with, corporate treasurers, cash managers, is just a lot of simple things at scale. Making a payment is not overly complicated, but when you're making thousands of payments or hundreds of payments and you know across the board, you need to be able to do simple things like input, reconcile, verify. You know, it needs to tie back if it's um, a payment to a good provided, it needs to tie back to your system to make sure that that invoice is now done. And so a lot of activities, what we found over the years would be segregated to ease activities like reconciliation, which meant you would have an account for A, an account for B, an account for C, 
so on and so on and so forth. Virtual accounts and technology kind of one-upped the traditional approach to account structuring by saying you no longer need to separate across accounts just because you need components of that information ring fence. It gave us an integrity of data at a whole nother level. You could manage multiple projects through a virtual account number but still retain a single liquidity position by doing those things together. You could manage multiple entities, activities, pay-ins, pay-outs within a single liquidity position. Mm, I love that. I mean, both of you have talked about innovation as such key parts of your job, which I can see then how fascinating and compelling your jobs are because they're you know changing all the time. So let me talk to you about your careers and especially to other women who might be thinking about careers in finance, but in particular in your areas, you know, what advice would you have for them and why are you so compelled by the things that you do? Christina, let's start with you. Sure. You know, I think it's really interesting because the job that I'm in right now is the direct intersection of the financial markets, finance and technology. And historically, these have been male-dominated areas. I think what's really cool to note about blockchain technology, cryptocurrencies, this domain that we're in, is that it's super new. And because of that, it's a baselining, if that makes sense. Like we're basically, it's like a great equalizer in that there haven't been people that have been doing this for decades and are experts and, you know, therefore the incumbent legacy, you know, people that dominate this domain and this industry or this technology. And so, you know, from a general opportunity set perspective, I think it's a great space for someone to jump in and really take advantage of the change and the newness and just fall down many different rabbit holes and learn and find opportunities to establish oneself. And the space moves really fast. So, you know, I I would say that specifically in my domain, we're in a moment right now where it's a small set of people. Clearly there's a lot of value that's being generated out of this technology, out of this industry. And it's a great opportunity for someone to get started, you know, if you're new. Lori, what would you say? I mean, for me, I probably lean towards banking because of the entrepreneurial spirit I had, but the fear I had to do it by myself. And for me, product management became like the perfect marriage of you get this beautiful responsibility for something real, right? And, and at every level, and I've, I, like I said, I've been liquidity solutions. I've also been product management the entire time, focused on development at different junctures, did the client facing at others. But my heart has always lied in this reality that like at every stage in product management, you are running your own business. It might be one product, it might be one group, or it might be, as I've been fortunate enough to do now, the global business itself. The buck stops here. You are responsible for every single aspect of your product. And I love that because it gives you a limitless ability to be creative, but also a controlled framework with all of our partners to make sure you can execute because you get nothing done alone. I always advocate to you know people entering, find something you genuinely enjoy doing. I've got a lot of Loriisms. The team, at least when I was in London, had them written on the wall and would point Love to them. Tell us, tell us a little yeah. There's five days in a work week. I choose not to work on the weekends to the best of my ability. And two days should be really great days. Two days should be okay. And one day should just 
be rough because it's to me that that day that's hard, the day that's a little stressful, that proves I'm still learning. It's not something you know easy, repetitive that I'm doing every day. And I kind of geek out on that piece of it. I make two-year contracts with myself. Like, am I interested? And am I adding value? I'm always very conscious to make sure that I challenge myself in different ways often enough, not just because it's good for me, but because it's good for the business. I think being a woman in this field in general, actually treasury services is the standout. We're very well balanced um, and have kind of always been. What I think feels very different in the last couple of years is it feels like there's more and more room for us to grow. I think a lot of the, the thoughtful skill sets, the multitasking, just the general approach is great. I always encourage the women I mentor, never underestimate the strength of your voice. Just use it in a smart way. Yes. Oh, I very much appreciate that. And that's why you're both on this program to use your voices. Christine, what about you? Talk about some leadership lessons maybe you've learned in the past year and a half, especially. Yeah, sure. I mean, leadership lessons overall in my career that, you know, and Laurie talked about some of the challenges that you kind of run into in work. But one of the key lessons I learned is at some point you realize doing a good job and getting stuff done like is, can be table stakes. And the important thing is having a voice. So Lori, when you said, you know, like using your voice, like I was like cheering here because, you know, I think that was one of the harder things for me to find. I know it's like, you know, funny to see now because literally you can't shut me up, but like I was, you know, very quiet and shy. And I used to think that my work would just speak for itself and it didn't, you know, one of the key things that I like to make sure that young people that I mentor here is yes, definitely do the work and definitely get it done right and well and amazing, but also make sure people know the value that you're contributing. The other key thing is, you know, don't ever count yourself out. You know, I mentioned my career path at JP Morgan. If you look very closely, every job that I had, I was never really qualified for when I got the job, right? Because I had never, I just made like these big zigzags and pivoted because I was at the time and still now very led by my intellectual curiosity. So it was like, if it was a blank space and I knew nothing about it, that was absolutely where I wanted to go. And oftentimes what I find is that people think, oh, I don't know what that is and I'm not qualified. So therefore I shouldn't apply for it. And maybe I should take like, you know, a hundred classes, like and then apply in two years, maybe. I think what I'd like to advocate for, you know, those of you who are listening is be bold, give it a try, go for it and see if you can get that opportunity that you're looking for. And of course, it just, it doesn't come for free. You have to be able to prove I'm in my current seat. I'm adding value. I was able to learn quickly and this is how I did it. So therefore you can have confidence that I can do the same in this new seat. So you need to prove that out. You know, for example, I remember when I applied for the blockchain job, I didn't have any Bitcoin experience or blockchain, barely knew what it was. And I remember telling my husband, I'm not qualified. It's not me. But you know what? I'm going to give it a try because it's super interesting and it's something I would love to do. It would be like amazing if I got it, but pretty low probability. And, you know, shout out to my hiring manager. You know, when I spoke to her about it afterwards, she said, you were perfect. You were the standout candidate of all the candidates that we had met. We weren't looking for the Bitcoin expert. We were looking for people who knew product development and technology and, you know, knew about business and financial products and could communicate at the bank. And, you know, all the things that I didn't think they were looking for, they were looking for. So anyway, the second lesson that I have is just never count yourself out. 
I love that you said that. That is a great reminder. And I just want to reiterate, I mean, you are very much regarded as the expert in what you do. So just let us go out on a really high note and an optimistic and really interesting. You know, what's exciting you each about your areas in the next few years in terms of the technology and the innovation? I think what's very exciting, it's also what I think some days can be scary, is technology is no longer the limitation. And I say that to my product development team all the time. It's like, we have all the tools and we're delivering, right? With the investment that we've got is just amazing and our ability to execute phenomenal. But we are building a suite of capabilities that are not going to limit the creativity we have as a team solutioning for our clients. That shifts the responsibility to those creative minds to think of what comes next. We're not walking down a path that's been paved. We're not trying to jump at the competitor that's ahead of us. We have everything we need. You know, technology is hugely important, but it's not our limitation. And I think for a lot of us that have been around for a long time, we've always kind of had the wish list of, oh, I wish we could build this. I wish we could build that. I think we can do all that now. And we are. It's not to say it's it's all here right now, but it's in the not too distant future, which just creates a whole other different type of opportunity, innovation, creativity, co-development with clients. I think that's really exciting. Christine, what would you say? The area that you know we're focused on right now and think is most exciting is digital identity. The idea that you can own your own data, you can control your own data, you can know exactly who has access to your data. We're moving into this next level, as Lori said, with technology where, you know, it's it's no longer a barrier, it's actually an enabler. So many things that may not have been within our domain, within our you know, purview, you know, we're, we're seeing how new technologies can, can get us there. So you know, this, is, this is an area that you know, we're super focused on and really excited about because, again, back to the whole like there was like an old internet, now there's going to be a new internet. The old internet is someone's collecting all of your data and creating a central honeypot and you're the product. New internet like should look a little different. Like a new internet, now that we've learned the lessons of the old internet, should be that you should be more empowered. You should have your digital identity as your most important asset. Be safe kept, just like your other important assets, like your you know deposits or like your investments, as an example. So you know, doing a lot of like research, development, exploration around those themes and in that direction. It's fascinating. Thank you both so much for this wonderful conversation. I just want to say I'm really proud to call you both colleagues, and I really can't wait to see what you do next. So thank you for being here today. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to my conversation with Christine and Lori. They're on the front lines of innovation, and I learned so much about their lines of work. The spreadsheet example for understanding blockchain will definitely stay with me. I also love the amazing leadership lessons they shared, and I think Lori's approach to managing her career is really interesting. I'm so excited to see what's next for them, including more payments in space. The mission of Women on the Move is to help women in their professional and personal lives. Our goal is to introduce you to people with great ideas, inspiring stories, and a passion to make a difference. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, review, and subscribe so you won't miss any others. For J.P. Morgan Chase's Women on the Move, I'm Sam Saperstein. J.P. Morgan Chase Bank N.A. is a member of the FDIC.